Heavenly Father, how can we begin to give thanks to you for all that you have given us? Your word says that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from your gracious hand. Help us to be thankful in everyday life as you breathe the spirit of thanksgiving into our hearts. May our hearts overflow with praise and rejoicing as we've talked about and sung this morning. Most of all, may we give thanks for our Lord Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Please open our hearts to hear from you today. May we leave this place changed, different, more in love with you because of your word that speaks to us. Thank you that it will not return to you void, but it will accomplish exactly what you intend it to. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray and give thanks, committing this hour to you. In Jesus' name, amen. This year, our church has had a disciple-making focus, and we've, dis we've defined a Christian disciple as a follower of Jesus, one who loves God, loves others, and loves the lost. Today's main point, disciples are sent where they live, work, and play. And our action step, we'll go ahead and... Uh, present that right up front. Cultivate, plant, and reap right where you live, work, and play. Cultivate, plant, and reap. What does that mean? Well, we'll, we'll talk about that and kind of flesh that out a little bit as, as we work through our text this morning. Jesus is in the town of Capernaum. Capernaum is in the Galilee region with a population at this time uh, when Christ is, uh, is living and ministering, a population of about 1,500. Uh, some of you live in subdivisions and neighborhoods that big. So we kind of sometimes have a different perspective of size. But uh, as you look at the map, you see that Capernaum is located on the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. If you look and find the Sea of Galilee, look on that very northern end. And it's interesting that Capernaum is the hometown of five of Jesus' disciples. Did you realize that uh, Peter, Andrew, James, John, and the tax collector Matthew were all from Capernaum. Earlier in Luke 4, we find Jesus is in the synagogue teaching and performing his third miracle that Andy preached about last Sunday, which is the, the miracle of casting out an evil spirit. It's early in his public ministry. He's, in fact, just begun his public ministry. People are curious about who is this man that has such amazing teachings and that's performing these miraculous signs. Crowds are beginning to gather. His, his popularity is growing. And that brings us to our scripture text for today. Luke chapter 4. If you want to turn in your Bible or turn on your phone and follow there or on the screen. This is God's word speaking to us. Luke 4 beginning with verse 38. 
Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. And laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. Here in Capernaum, we see, as we've said earlier, this is where Simon Peter and his family live. Now, if you've been around the Bible and church any amount of time in your life, you know that the Bible talks a lot about the New Testament, about Simon Peter, his life, his ministry, his personality. Uh, there's lots that we know about Simon. But it's interesting that we know very little about his family. The text mentions that he has a mother-in-law, which means he has a wife, yes. Do they have children? Well, probably, but we don't know for sure. But when, as I was studying this passage and thinking about, first of all, of course, his mother-in-law is uh, focused on here, but I, then I started thinking about Peter's wife. What an amazing woman this lady is. First of all, she's married to a very impetuous man, isn't she? If you, we know how impetuous Peter is. That has its own uh, set of challenges in a marriage. Um, but also, we know that uh, Peter and the other disciples are frequently away from home. They're constantly traveling around Galilee, Decapolis, Samaria, Judea, and other regions of Palestine for weeks, maybe months at a time, away from home. Wives, put yourself in her shoes. Would that make you happy? I'd say for most, no. Sometimes we don't think about the sacrifices and the hardships that the, the families of these disciples are making in order for these men to follow Jesus. And Simon Peter, it seems, is not the only one of the disciples who's married. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5, the Apostle Paul, who is a single man, asks, Do I not have the right to take a believing wife? as did the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Peter. And though we don't know for certain, it's interesting that Clement of Alexandria, an early church writer, said that Peter's wife helped him in ministry by meeting the needs of other women. Interesting. And some early church historians say that she, like Peter, died as a martyr for Christ. But back to our text. We see that as Jesus enters Peter's house, his mother-in-law is sick with a high fever. 
Most of you know that Luke, the writer of this gospel, is a medical doctor. And he's the only one of the gospel writers that records this particular account that specifically says that the sickness is a high fever. The phrase suffering from a high fever is an analytic imperfect and indicates that the fever is chronic, reoccurring. Think back to the last time you had a high fever or one of your children or your spouse had a high fever. That's, that's a miserable feeling, isn't it? I mean, you, you just ache all over. It can be potentially dangerous as well. So what happens? Well, let's look at uh, the first part of verse 39. It says, So he bent over her and rebuked the fever. I, I find it very interesting that, uh, that Jesus rebukes the fever. He stands over Peter's mother-in-law and he rebukes the fever. Uh, typically, you treat a fever or its symptoms, you know, trying to break the fever or, or in some way uh, address the fever. But I don't know of anyone that has ever rebuked a fever other than Jesus in, in this case. What's, what's going on here? Well, there seem to be two possibilities. One, it could be that Jesus rebukes the fever because he sees some type of demonic force behind it. The word rebuked is the same Greek word used later on in, in the passage that we've read about him rebuking demons. It's the same word. And it's used earlier in the context about him rebuking uh, demons and casting out, out demons. So that's one possibility. But in my opinion, there's a more likely uh, possibility, probability, that he rebukes the fever to authenticate his authority and his power of the words that he speaks to those around him. Would you agree that we live in a world that over-promises and under-delivers? You've just got to buy this awesome gift. It's, gonna, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Or, oh, this must-have Christmas present. It's going to blow their socks off. It's the perfect thing. It's going to make their holiday. You've just got to purchase this. Or... But wait, there's more. If you'll just buy this gizmo in the next 10 minutes, we'll throw another one in. Absolutely free. It's going to change the world. Or elect me to office and I'll put a chicken in every pot, drain the swamp, change the world. And it goes on and on and on. So many of the commercials, you know, we're watching foot, football games and they're making all these wild and crazy promises. I was uh, watching uh, during one of the games... Uh, and suddenly I heard joy to the world. And for us, joy to the world is because Jesus came to earth to rescue us. But in this case, it was joy to the world because Honda 
has an amazing car, and if you buy a Honda, you are going to have joy. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness. Grand promises. Exaggerated hype. But friend, that is never, never the case with our Lord Jesus. When he speaks, it always happens exactly as he says. What he promises, he fully delivers. Look at what happens when he rebukes the fever. The end of verse 39. It says that immediately she arose and served them. That it, the fever left her and she got up at once and waited on them. She's instantly healed. Her health is restored. She's, she begins serving her guest. Can you imagine the impact this has on, well, the disciples, the family, and friends that are in the house watching this? Someone who's seriously ill, incapacitated one moment, is out of bed serving her guest the next. And that's just the beginning. Look with me at verse 40. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. And he laid his hands on each one. He healed them. What's Luke emphasizing here? I think he's emphasizing two important realities. One Family and friends are bringing their sick and infirmed loved ones to Jesus. Pastor Andy mentioned this last Sunday in his sermon, but one commentator highlights that of the recorded 40 people healed in the four gospel accounts, 34 of them were brought to Jesus by someone, a friend, a family member. Only six came to Jesus on their own. So as we talk about disciples being sent where they live, work, and play, it comes down to this. A Christian disciple is someone who shares his or her best friend with their friends. Very simple and straight, straightforward. A second key point here. Verse 40, we notice that Jesus lays his hands on individuals as he touches and heals them. Doesn't that highlight the benevolent sympathy of Jesus for every person? Or let me put it this way. Could, couldn't Jesus have just waited till everyone brought their sick loved ones to the house or right outside the house? They were all there, and he just you know, raised his hands and said to all of them at one time, Be healed! Would they have all been healed? Certainly, yeah. But he doesn't do that. By healing them one by one, his personal touch laying his hands on each and every sick person and those that are infirmed with other types of illnesses, he says to that person, I love you. I care about you. I sympathize with your weakness. You are important to me. The 
This morning, aren't you glad that he knows and cares about you personally? Yes, he sees the world, he sees the masses, he sees the billions, but he also knows the very numbers of hair that are on your head, the scripture says. He knows when a little sparrow falls to the ground. He knows our struggles, our temptations, our joys, our sorrows. They matter to him. And that's why Peter, who is watching all of this and continues to see Jesus carefully, tenderly ministering to individuals for another three years during his earthly ministry. That's why Peter, years later, when he writes his first epistle, 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Peter saw it. Peter experienced it. He cares about you personally. Some of you come here today with heavy hearts, heavy burdens. Friend, won't you embrace that promise? It's as true today as it was when Christ walked the earth. He cares for you. Cast your care upon him. Well, not only are the sick miraculously healed, but in verse 41 we read, Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. So, does that sound bizarre to you? What, what's going on with the demon shouting Christ's identity and him rebuking them, not letting them proclaim who he truly is? Well, first, I believe that their cry, you are the Christ, the Son of God, is a cry of involuntary adoration. Involuntary Adoration. It almost seems like an oxymoron. They know who he is. They hate him, but they know. And doesn't scripture say that one day every, every knee will bow? Every tongue will confess him as Lord to the glory of God the Father. They've seen him. They these demons, they've seen him in his divine glory. They know their eternal doom. And yet, here they acknowledge his sovereignty over them. So why does Jesus forbid them from shouting this truth? Well, maybe the time has not yet come in his earthly ministry for such a declaration. There were other times where Jesus told individuals to not broadcast who he was. Or maybe it's because Jesus did not come to earth for demons to acknowledge him as Messiah, but so that people would acknowledge him as such, including you and me. Friend, what about you? Have you bowed the knee before him? 
Have you confessed, received him for who he is, the sovereign Lord, the Savior of sinners? Romans 10, 9. If we confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Isn't that what this communion table proclaims today? That he is who he says he is, Lord, Messiah, and that he's done all that is necessary for our salvation his sacrificial death, his burial for three days, his glorious resurrection as we sung about this morning. And if you've never confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, won't you do that today? This is a perfect opportunity. You can receive him right where you're, you're, you're uh, seated. Receive him. And Christian, how do we implement using this text how do we implement our action step of cultivate plant and reap you know those are our agricultural terms cultivating like a crop planting and reaping a crop and of course we're translated it now into a a spiritual context well with a literal crop you begin by what by simply planting a seed right you plant a seed. Pa uh, PCA pastor Tim Keller makes this practical uh, su suggestion, especially with family and friends over the holidays. Simply let the other person know that your Christian faith means something to you. Just in passing conversation. Something like, my, my Christian faith has really helped me here because da-da-da-da-da. Or, I was worried about this particular thing, but then I realized that I can cast my cares upon my Lord because He cares for me. Just in passing conversation, you can do that. Just let it bubble up naturally. So, our assignment between now and the end of the year, for the month of December... Our assignment is to look for gospel conversation opportunities during the month. And remember, when you do, you're not by yourself. You're not alone. He's right there with you. His promise is that he will never leave you or, or for, forsake you. Let's pray. Father, what a powerful word you have given us this morning. Thank you for your sovereign power over sickness, over demons, over every created being and everything. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. As we come to your table now, may our hearts be filled with gratitude for what you have done for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.